0: Welcome to Tailboard Talk, a 4th Shift Fitcast. The mission of Tailboard Talk and the 4th Shift Fitness is to educate and train fire service personnel to increase durability and decrease the potential for injuries and their associated costs. My name is Chris Morella, owner and founder of 4th Shift Fitness. I'll use my experience as a personal trainer, strength coach, and 15-year veteran of the fire service to deliver tips, tricks, lessons, and information specifically geared towards the health and wellness of firefighters and paramedics. Each episode, you'll leave with immediate deliverables that will improve performance and resilience and keep you in the fight through your career and into retirement. Let's get into it. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to Tailboard Talk of Force Shift Fitcast. I'm Chris, and today we are talking to Dr. Scott Forbes. Who is Dr. Scott Forbes? Let me tell you about him real quick. Dr. Scott Forbes is an associate professor in the Department of Physical Education at Brandon University and an adjunct professor in the Faculty of Kinesiology and Health Studies at the University of Regina. pronunciation depending on location. Dr. Forbes has completed the International Olympic Committee Diploma in Sports Nutrition and is a clinical exercise physiologist and performance specialist through the Canadian Society for Exercise Physiology. His primary research examines various nutritional exercise interventions to enhance performance in a variety of populations. Dr. Forbes has published over 50, five zero, 50 peer-reviewed publications, four book chapters, and has been an invited speaker at several international conferences. Guys, Dr. Scott Forbes is literally an encyclopedia of science, especially in the field that we're talking about today, which is a product, a supplement, and a thing that I've actively avoided just until about a year ago, when he finally changed my mind on it. We're talking about creatine, what it's good for, what it's great for, and why your firefighters and first responders should really, really, really be considering it as a supplement that they should be taking. We're going to jump into the interview with Scott giving his bio, and then you'll see it'll spin off into a pretty awesome conversation. I hope you enjoy it. Here is Scott Forbes.
1: Okay, so yeah, I did my undergraduate degree in kinesiology at uh, the University of Saskatchewan um, in Saskatoon. And then I also did my master's there as well. So right near the end of my degree, my undergraduate degree, I got excited with research. And I actually worked with the Paranordic Cross Country uh, Ski team during my master's. That kind of got me excited with regards to exercise physiology and then closely tied in with, exercise physiology as nutrition. So understanding metabolism and fuels to support exercise and things like that. And so I wanted to continue to pursue sport nutrition. And so I went to the University of Alberta and did a PhD um, under the guidance of uh, Dr. Gordon Bell. And I actually looked at a supplement known as L-arginine. And that was kind of big, About 10 years ago, people were really interested in that particular supplement to enhance nitric oxide. So you might have heard of supplements like NO Explode or Expand, things like that, that are supposed to get you that pump when you go to the gym. And that main ingredient in those supplements was arginine. And so we did a, a series of studies, a dose response studies. We also did a study where we gave it before they did aerobic exercise and another study where that we gave it before they did resistance exercise. And essentially we found it, we found out that the supplement doesn't work. So that was about five years of my life trying to find out that this supplement sucks. And then after that, I went on and did a postdoctoral fellowship actually at the University of Calgary where um, we examined the effects of exercise and nutrition on brain health. So different, uh, you know, diets um, and whether exercise can enhance brain function and why does it enhance brain function. So that was a really interesting period of time mm-hmm. in my life. And then from there, I actually got a job teaching at Okanagan College in Penticton, which is a probably one of the warmest places in Canada. And they have, you know, nice beaches and lakes and mountains. And then I was offered a job at Brandon University. So basically moving from a college position to a university position. So that's a good career move. Um, But Brandon's obviously a different uh, location in Canada and probably one of the coldest places in Canada. So it's like dead center of Canada. Just prairies, nothing around it. So that's how I ended up at uh, Brandon University.
0: And it, it really is. I mean, I told you before I got on, I was looking up Brandon and then where it is, and there's nothing, man. It is truly the Arctic tundra as it may seem. Uh, did you have an athletic background growing up? Because I, what I, the other thing I wanted to talk to you about was you're you're probably the only person so far, and will be the only person if it's have it my way to rival me. Rival me in a push up competition uh, in which I did push ups in the ocean and you won up me by stripping down half naked and doing them in the snow. Obviously, there's some athletic talent there. So, did you have a a very sport based or athletic uh, childhood or growing up before you got interested in the academic side of it?
1: Yeah. So, I used to paddle. Um, So, I used to be a canoeer and uh, I did, there's multiple uh, varieties of canoeing. Um, So, I did sprint racing, which is at the Olympics. Um, There's kayaking and canoeing at the Olympics. So, you can uh, watch it whenever the Olympics are on, if they're ever going to be on again. So, I did that till about my fourth year of undergrad. And then I retired from paddling and I actually started uh, distance running. So, I joined the cross country running team. I did that for a couple of years. I competed at the university um, sport level and uh, went to the university national championships and I ended up uh, 60th position so nothing spectacular and uh, but it was you know it was pretty fun and obviously my endurance really improved over that time and then following my running career I actually got interested in this obscure sport called canoe polo or kayak polo and uh, essentially, it's water polo played in kayaks. So I can com- I actually competed on the uh, on the senior national team and competed at the world championships on several occasions. Um, and I've traveled all across the world playing canoe polo. But uh, the last time I played was in 2018 at the world championships were actually which were actually held in Canada. Um, so kind of uh, with my paddling experience, I guess I have decent upper body strength. But, uh, over the past couple of years, it's definitely gone downhill.
0: I don't know, man. I've seen more videos of you cranking out pull-ups that, uh, than I would like to admit at this point, but, uh, you can definitely tell there was some ingrained physical ability there. And let me ask you this, probably the most important question. Cause when you said, what did you call it? What kind of polo was it called? Canoe, canoe polo? polo. You don't happen to be the guy who got his teeth taken out by a canoe in that one famous three second clip of canoe polo. Do, are you?
1: No, I'm not, but uh, I've actually knocked a guy's tooth out before, so.
0: Oh my God. Is that a common thing?
1: It's not that common, no, okay. but obviously it does happen.
0: That looked absolutely... I mean, I thought he was dead. I thought that <laughs> guy was literally internally decapitated, but... Oh my yeah, there's God. been
1: a lot of discussion about the safety of the starting of the game.
0: <laughs> I wonder why. Uh, so were you taking any kind of supplements while you were doing all that athletic stuff? Like, when did you start? Because I get... I got to think that if you weren't taking it during your sprint days, now knowing all about it, you probably wish you were taking it, just knowing the benefits of creatine and the other other things that you've studied.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, when I was actually doing my sprint paddling, I wasn't taking any supplements or when I was running cross country, I never took any supplements as well. It wasn't until um, I started canoe polo and got involved with more into the weight room then i started taking some supplements and obviously got interested in uh what are the evidence what's the evidence behind some of these supplements and two supplements that i've kind of stuck with is creatine and protein
0: yeah maybe the two most popular ones and um you had mentioned no explode before i got to say if if any if any of my high school friends or my junior hockey friends are listening to that you just you may have just brought them to tears because that was like the hot hot thing was NO Explode. And it must've been all placebo because those guys swore by it and they loved it. And I never got into it because it looked as gimmicky as it obviously was, but I think you just crushed crushed a lot of teenage boys' dreams with that uh, research you just explained.
1: Yeah, exactly. And and that's why I wanted to look at some of the evidence and measure some of the, for example, can, can arginine actually increase nitric oxide? Um, nitric oxide's actually quite difficult to measure. So we measured some of the byproducts of nitric oxide, but none of those were increased, even with extremely high doses, much higher than what would even be given in, uh, those sup- in the supplements that most people were taking. And uh, yeah, so it's just a placebo effect that people are experiencing.
0: So what drove you towards, obviously protein and creatine are two of the most popular ones, protein being pretty much universally accepted, but creatine is not, it is certainly not universally accepted in the minds and hearts of many, many people. Obviously you, you latched onto those two things. And so how did you really narrow that down to those two being your primary studies? And what can you tell us about those two, either in concert or kind of creatine in general? Cause we're going to get into this, a lot of the myths about creatine and, and why it's beneficial. Uh, but let's kind of kick it off with how you got into it.
1: Yeah. So actually in 2007, 2008, Um, I got connected with a researcher, his name is Dr. Darren Kando and my supervisor at the time was previously his supervisor and so he was running some creatine research and we actually uh, did some short-term creatine studies and it was one of the few studies where we showed that these supplements actually worked. So we got pretty excited about that. And basically since then, we have published probably over 25 peer reviewed creatine studies to show the benefits of creatine. And um, some of the cool things is that it's really been shown to be beneficial in young individuals. And also now we've shown quite a few times that it could be beneficial in an aging population or older adults. And then the other cool thing that's kind of really attracted me to creatine is that it's it's in every cell of the body and it can impact muscle performance and people are well aware of some of the benefits of creatine on enhancing muscle performance um, but it could also impact things like your bones and also brain as well
0: so how many would you say before you got to protein and creatine how many studies or trials or how many supplements did you look at that were proven to be just useless or false or purely placebo effect um
1: there's uh there's definitely quite a few supplements so if you think of all the supplements if you walk into a supplement store and you see all the supplements out there there's about five supplements that have pretty decent evidence scientific evidence to support that they can work in certain situations. Of the
0: of the whole store, there's only five ish. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sweet.
1: Wow. So, um a lot of supplements don't work. Yeah. And I would say about 90% of my studies end up with a null finding, which means that they essentially there's there's no difference between the supplement or the placebo. Holy cow. So that's it's always the worst a nightmare of a scientist to run a, a big, long study, collect all this data. And at the end of the day, supplement doesn't work. Wow. Um, but that happens quite a bit. And I think that evidence is, it's important as well, just as could, can be just as important as you know, a supplement does work because you can save a lot of money by knowing that a supplement doesn't work. For example, L-arginine.
0: <laughs> now, I think that's in- incredibly important. And I, Unfortunately, there's no way that you're ever 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 gonna match the advertising budget of some of the larger companies to get that out there, but for the people who yep. are actually interested in it to to have that be available is almost priceless you know it's to the consumer to know what is a waste of money and not even worth trying so I told you before when I was in high school, creatine was kind of making an emergence emergence, and I had friends taking it, and all they would talk about is how much they were able to eat and how much bigger their muscles felt, but we also had a football coach. And this football coach pretty much condemned it for any, don't even look at it because it's going to ruin you. And I'm pretty sure he even did a thesis in college on creatine rage and how it's going to destroy you and how it's essentially has all the same properties as a steroid with all the negative effects of steroids, if you abuse it. And he was just 100% against it. So I got to tell you, I I got turned off by that because I was like, all right, well, even if he's half right, it's not something I'm interested in playing hockey. I never got into it. Playing junior hockey, guys were taking all kinds of stuff. I never got into it. All kinds of over the counter stuff. Never got into it. And I really just after seeing you and Annette talk about it on social media for the past couple of years, just started taking it this past year uh, with protein after I work out, and then when I think about it, if I'm it's not workout day, I'll try to take it. But I got to think that a majority of the population has heard the first half of that message and does not get the second half of it from actual educated people like you. So why don't you run through some of the most recurring or annoying or consistent creatine myths that you think are out there?
1: Yeah. So there's definitely a lot of creatine myths that are out there and for whatever reason, it's been given a bad rep. Um, So some of the most prominent uh, myths out there for sure is that creatine is an anabolic steroid. That's far from the truth. It's actually made up of three amino acids. So those are amino acids are the building blocks for protein. So arginine, glycine, and methionine are the three amino acids. Everyone produces creatine within their body, but you can also get creatine from food sources, things like poultry, red meat, and fish. So those are, those are three food sources. Or, of course, you can supplement with creatine. Go to the store, get some dietary supplement, and uh, you can ingest that as well. So creatine is not an anabolic steroid. So that's one myth that we need to break, and it's not true. <laughs> it's a very important um, one. Yeah. Very. Yeah. One. So the other one is uh, that uh, creatine can cause kidney damage or renal dysfunction. Again, there's no evidence to support that. So one of the one of the byproducts of Breaking down, so if you take creatine, you get creatine within your body, and you break down creatine, it produces creatinine. And creatinine has been used as a marker of kidney damage. And so if somebody takes creatine and then they go to their physician and they measure the creatinine levels, they might say, Whoa, you you know, you have some kidney damage. But in reality, it's just because they're consuming that supplement. So They need to understand kind of the concept context and that's not an indication of kidney damage Um, there's other ones as well like creatine causes hair loss or baldness so that's another kind of myth that's been (laughs) you know mentioned several times and uh, there's actually a so there's a study in rugby players where they show in the creatine group that there's an increased conversion of testosterone to dihydrotestosterone or DHT. And DHT has been linked to male pattern baldness. So because of that study, they basically, everyone says that creatine causes hair loss or baldness. Um, But importantly in that study, they didn't measure hair loss and uh, the conversion from testosterone to dihydrotestosterone Although it was higher in the Cretin group, it was all within normal ranges. So it could have just been normal biological variability within that data. And also that, that study has never been replicated. Um, so
0: don't worry about your hair there, Chris, you you won't lose it. Well, it's already going. I mean, at this point, I'd be happy if it did go. So I could just shave my head all the way and it'd be easier. Um, yeah. What, so who is, who is vilifying this stuff? Like who is does there seem to be a witch hunt for creatine where they're just willing to make any correlation back to it to try to, I mean, there's not big creatine out there trying to to do stuff like there was big tobacco or anything. So what's the, what's the underlying threat of why creatine should be so bad? Why do people want it to be so bad? So, so badly. I have no
1: idea. If I knew that answer, <laughs> I would be able to solve this problem pretty easily.
0: Jeez, I think it's
1: just uh just little things over time that eventually lead to, you know, big misconceptions. And this is one of the, one of the supplements, I guess that's been linked in with like steroids and that it's bad for you. And for whatever reason that's kind of kept on over the ages. So yeah, we need to basically break these misconceptions that creatine is actually bad for you because there's a lot of good that can come out of creatine supplementation.
0: Yeah. And I, I mean, I, like I said, I fell for it and I believed it uh, wholeheartedly and avoided it on purpose for the, for the past couple of decades, you know, and I'm I'm not happy that it took me this long to find the truth, but I'm happy that I have some resources in you and in now to put me in the right direction. I mean, it's so misunderstood that just yesterday you published something that essentially said creatine is, what, what was the terminology that was used? It was generally safe.
1: Yeah, generally recognized as safe, and so that's that was just released from the uh, United States FDA. So they basically classified creatine monohydrate as it's called "grass" or generally recognized as safe. So that's pretty strong evidence that creatine actually is safe. So if you don't believe the five hundred plus peer-reviewed scientific studies out there <laughs> that have that have investigated creatine. There's also a panel of experts that basically that work for the FDA that said that this supplement is actually a safe supplement to take.
0: Wow. I mean, it's incredible. It's incredible that we've been misled for so long. But like I said before, I'm, I'm grateful for people like you that are actually trying to to help, help with actual tangible data and proof. So why don't we go into, because you alluded to a few uh, general things before, but let's go into some of the top benefits of creatine supplementation in general public. And then we'll also talk about like athletic and first responder and firefighter demands as well?
1: So whenever I think about uh, creatine supplementation, I use an analogy that Darren Kando has used in the past. Essentially, it's like the sprinkles on a cake. So you need a good foundation first. You need a good cake first. So you need what I call hit your sledgehammers. So you need to exercise regularly. You need to have good sleep and you need to have good nutrition. Those are the big ones if you do those things, and then you add creatine on top of that, you can make the cake a little bit better, just like adding sprinkles to a cake makes it a little bit better. And so creatine does make things better. So there's some pretty good science to support how creatine can make things better. And the first is probably in the muscle. So about 95% of creatine within your body is taken up into the muscle. And it can be used to Replenish what's known as ATP or energy within your muscle and help support high intensity type or explosive activities. So, if you're running upstairs or lifting weights, you can do a few more intervals or a few more reps, and then over time, you can get bigger, stronger, faster, more powerful muscles. And we've shown that actually in both younger and older individuals. And then, creatine can also. Potentially be a benefit for bone health as well again if it makes your muscles bigger muscles pull on bones and so that could put a little bit of stress on your bones and your bones will adapt and they'll get stronger as well and there's also some interesting studies where they they had cell cultures and they had within those cell cultures they had osteoblasts and those are the bone forming cells and then they sprinkled in some creatine And it increased the activity of those osteoblasts. And so there's some direct evidence that creatine can actually help with bone formation. And again, make your bones stronger over time. Um, You need to combine that with exercise. So again, just kind of that it's the sprinkles on a cake or sprinkles on top of that foundation that includes exercise, particularly for the benefits with regards to the bone health. And then we've also done some uh, research to show some of the effects of creatine on brain health as well. So a couple areas of of emerging interest, but um, you can enhance things like cognition. So you can enhance processing speed, things like reaction time, decision-making abilities, and particularly when your brain is stressed. There's been a few studies where they stress your brain and they do that in a variety of ways one is through sleep deprivation and they've actually shown that if you're sleep deprived but you take creatine you have less of a negative impact that the sleep deprivation would have done on your cognition and uh, they've also done studies with mental fatigue as well and again creatine was a benefit in those situations or hypoxia which is just a low amount of oxygen Again, creatine was a benefit in those situations with regards to brain health and cognitive function. There's also some uh, rat research and a little bit of human research, although it's very limited, that creatine potentially could be neuroprotective. So if you have a traumatic brain injury, for example, the impact of that traumatic brain injury would be lessened if you were on creatine.
0: Well, you definitely hit on a few things. That are just right up the alley of the first responder, which I'm glad you did because I think when most people think creatine, obviously they think muscle growth and development and power production, but the mental and cognitive side of it, especially when sleep deprived or uh, stressed, is kind of our wheelhouse. So I'm really glad you mentioned those things because that's more likely the scenario for a lot of first responders right now than uh, using it for, I don't wanna say a performance enhancer, but using it to build up their muscular capacity is probably secondary to supporting their cognition and their mental health during these really, really stressful times.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think it's the perfect supplement for firefighters. And again, yeah, the reason is it can enhance muscle performance. So that's if you need to, you know, run into a a burning building or something like that and lift something heavy or sprint upstairs, this supplement can enhance those activities Um, but it could also make you think a little bit more clear especially in those stress situations which obviously running into a burning building or whatever the situation is would be very stressful and then also it being beneficial during sleep deprivation again that's very common in firefighters for sure to be sleep deprived and to have their sleep you know broken up at night and things like that so This is like the perfect supplement for firefighters.
0: I, I, it sounds like it, it sounds just almost custom made for us. Is there a, is there a way, and you're not anybody's doctor, when I've been talking to you and Annette, you've given me just generic suggestions on like, make sure you take it with either protein or you take it with carbs. Don't just take it alone. Uh, You mentioned that it was in basically animal meats, like uh, poultry, beef, and uh, fish. Is there a way that it's more beneficial compared to other ways that it's less beneficial if we're going to take it forward, like the cognitive ability and the sleep deprivation protection? Uh, is there a, more of a suggested way to ingest it then or get, a, get, a, get our hands on it? Yeah. So
1: unfortunately, we don't actually know. There's not a lot of research um, with regards to that. There's a lot of research looking at the effects of creatine and taking it different ways to enhance the uptake at the muscle level. Um, But less is known with regards to the brain. So there's some thought that it actually might take a higher dose to get an increase in the brain. Your brain can actually form creatine on its own, whereas your muscle can't. It has to take it up from the blood, whereas your brain can actually form its own creatine. But creatine can also cross the blood-brain barrier as well. So if you do supplement with creatine, You can increase the amount of creatine within your brain, and typically it's about five to ten percent. But at the muscle level, it's about twenty percent increase. So it's much more robust at the muscle level than it is with regards to your brain. We know that vegetarians, for example, obviously don't consume red meat, so they typically have lower amounts of muscle creatine. But there's actually been studies to look at vegetarians versus omnivores, or Individuals that consume meat, and the amount of creatine within the brain is essentially the exact same. Hmm. Um, so your brain has this has this greater ability to, to control how much creatine is within it, and it doesn't seem to be as affected by dietary sources of creatine. So there's a lot that we don't we don't know. We don't know the exact dose or what dose you need to consume to get those benefits within your brain. Um, and yeah, we definitely don't know if that dose changes when you're sleep deprived versus not. Um, so there's a lot, whether you're young or old, we're, we're not too sure if those change. But the muscle, we have uh, pretty robust evidence to to give you pretty solid guidelines associated with how to increase creatine content within the muscle.
0: So and where should people go to find those recommendations? And what's a good resource? Because obviously, if you go to your general practitioner, they may not be up on this latest stuff, what, what resources would you point someone towards if they're looking to get interested in, in taking it? Probably the
1: best place to look is it's called the International Society of Sport Nutrition. And they published a position stand, which is essentially an article where they brought in a whole bunch of internationally renowned experts and they came up with a consensus on creatine and it's all evidence-based. So they have all the citations kind of linking to each statement that they make within that particular article. So that's probably one of the, the first places I would go and uh, I, would, I would read that position stand paper. So it was published in 2017. So relatively recently, but it will tell you exactly, you know, how much to consume, when to consume it, consuming it with, you know, different uh, food sources, whether that can impact the creatine uptake, the impacts of creatine on muscle health, and um, also on brain function, as well as discussed in that position stand paper.
0: And what's the what's the organization that put that out? That's
1: the International Society of Sport Nutrition.
0: Awesome, man. And I'll make sure to uh, link that actually in the show notes. It seems like there's a lot of positives to creatine obviously, there's got to be some cautions that come with it, or some, hey, pay attention to this things, or even some warnings that come with it. So what have you found to be things that people should pay attention to or be cautious of when they're looking to get into creatine?
1: Yeah, so there's a couple ways to look at this, I guess. So with regards to some of the side effects of creatine, they're, they're typically very rare, hence why it's been classified as the according to the FDA, as, as that grass has been recognized as safe. But there are, are some side effects in some individuals. So they might have like nausea or just like GI distress. And in those individuals, I would suggest taking just a lower dose. So from a dosing perspective, we know that if you take 20 grams per day for five days, you can saturate your muscle with creatine. But if you take just three grams a day for 28 days, so it takes a little bit longer, you can still saturate your muscles with creatine, and people will generally have less side effects associated with creatine if they have a lower dose. So side effects are rare, but if they do occur, just take it with a lo- take it as a lower dose. Um, so that's something to think of, and then the other thing is. With taking any supplement, it's good to buy supplements that are independently tested. So um, things like it's called NSA or Trusted in Sport or Informed Sport are independent organizations that randomly test supplements just to confirm what the company says is in the supplement is actually in the supplement. Um, So that just gives the person that's buying the supplements a little bit more confidence that... What's in there is actually in there.
0: And just as an add-on coming from the meathead perspective, I would also look at, uh, and as these people know that listening, I'm far from a nutritionist or a doctor, uh, but I can tell you that I've had several of types of protein powder that have messed with my GI tract and likely when I, when I take creatine, I take it with protein. So that might be something to look at. Also, it may not be the creatine that's the culprit in that. You may have a form of protein uh, that just doesn't agree with you. So it's important not to just automatically assume that creatine is causing this and it's as bad as you thought it was. Take a look at the whole picture and actually get a scope on what the, the players are in the equation and figure out which one is potentially causing that GI stress or that nausea or whatever side effects you're feeling. Uh, but those are, I mean, that's an awesome way to outline for people. I got to tell you, it sounds pretty awesome, man. I'm glad, <laughs> I'm glad I started taking it. I'm glad I'm sticking with it. I have noticed on some occasions a difference if I'm on it for, like you said, uh, a week or if I'm taking a little bit lower dose and I take it for a few weeks and then I forget to take it and I get out of my routine. I have actually noticed like an acute difference in some of my performance and I've tried to maintain a relatively good view of when I'm sleep deprived or what the different factors are that go into those workouts or those those uh, calls or whatever other stresses are, but I got to say, you made me a believer, man. And I really appreciate you uh, helping us out with this. Cause like you said, it's a, a widely misunderstood thing. And I think for a lot of people listening, not only do they appreciate what you do know, but personally, I appreciate that you told us there's a lot of stuff we don't know about it. We don't know about the cognitive effects and exactly the dose or the mechanism for that. Uh, but I have the utmost confidence that that's something that you are continuing to examine and dive into and figure out here as time goes on. Absolutely. Yeah. So is there any, uh, is there any besides the ISSN paper, more pedestrian or more digestible for the regular person? Or where would you point just the average Joe that comes to you and says, hey, I'm thinking about creatine. Point me in the right spot. Where should I go to learn more about it?
1: Um, yeah, so... <laughs> I, I would, even for the average Joe, I, you know, I enjoy the research and the scientific side of it. Um, but sometimes you need to go and find blogs as well. Mm. And so you I know Annette Zapp has a, has a blog and I actually wrote a, a blog for her on creatine supplementation. Awesome. So where I talked about all the kind of, you know, how much to consume, when to consume it, some of the potential benefits of creatine supplementation um, so there's an easily digestible blog from that perspective. Um, so maybe go there, go check out Annette Zap's website.
0: Yeah, and we'll def- I'll definitely talk to Annette and we'll have her repost that uh, when this episode comes out so we can go full circle with this thing for sure. Is there anything you want to leave us with? Any takeaways? Uh, of course, we can shout it from the mountaintops again that creatine is not a steroid, but what would you like us to leave this interview with?
1: I just want people to know that That creatine has consistently in the literature and science been shown to be effective and it can can enhance muscle, bone, and brain health. And uh, so there's different kind of avenues where creatine can be a benefit. The side effects are very rare associated with creatine and it's one of the safest supplements out there. So I I think some people should consider supplementing with creatine. But I think a lot of people will, they have this perception that if they take creatine, they're going to have this really profound effect. But just think of it as sprinkles on top of the cake. It's going to make it a little bit better. And it's not going to have this massive effect. You're not going to put on, you know, 10 pounds of muscle just because you started to supplement with creatine. But it's just going to make your strength a little bit better, your muscle performance a little bit better enhance your bone strength and uh could also enhance your cognition as well.
0: It's all great stuff. Thank you so much for sharing all that and I'm going to link all that all the stuff that you especially the ISSN paper. Uh, I'll make sure to link that in the show notes and I'll link really anything else you want to prove that this is a useful thing for people to have. If people want to reach out to you or contact you or anything like that, where can they find you?
1: Probably the best is on Instagram. So Scott underscore Forbes underscore PhD. And uh, that's where I post a lot of science with regards to creatine supplementation. But I also try to respond to direct messages as frequently as possible on Instagram as well.
0: Awesome, man. And yeah, I'd like to encourage everybody, if you have questions about this, because I did, that's why I wanted to have them on, uh, reach out. Reach out, go to the ISSN website and find that paper. Like I guess I will link it, but talk to Scott get rid of that mindset that we kind of got trapped in that, that creatine is bad for you, or it's going to give you these terrible side effects or whatever, whatever your negative outlook is on it. I think it's time to take a second look at it. So Scott, I really appreciate it, man. Uh, I hope you enjoy the all Canada division in the NHL this year. That is going to be an absolute monster of a season you guys are having up there. So I hope you enjoy that. I hope you enjoy your endless winter and, uh, Once again, man, thank you for coming on and sharing all your knowledge with us. Thanks, Chris.